namaste everyone and thank you for joining today so well we i'm going to talk about the indian archery which is like have huge history and you know we all grown with uh, seeing lot of heroes in indian arch uh, indian history which we have like so many archers throughout the time so with that you know i'm going to talk about this particular session in three different section uh the first section will going to be more about the archery history or the vedic uh, literature and the second one is going to be more in the dhanurveda in detail and then the last section would be the composite book of indian subcontinent so let's start the topic and uh, um yeah. so i uh, before we can start i just want to say thank you to mr armir hammer he is more like a teacher to me and a great archer and i learned a lot of uh, basic archery from him like two years before and uh, start gaining my interest from him so he had a like a youtube channel you know now we all in the virtual world so that's where i learned a lot of archery from him and uh, so i just want to say thank you before we can start this topic so uh, you know in the archery history uh, the oldest uh, archery uh prediction uh, paintings or uh, the information we can able to found in uh, indian subcontinent is actually one of the rock shelter called the bhimbetkar rock shelter and as per the research uh, that particular rock shelter is almost 100000 year old and there's a lot of other research happened for the paintings on those rock shelters if you can able to see there's like a bow and arrow holding uh, mostly like hunter gatherer and uh, those paintings are almost close to 30000 year old but uh, in my theory those paintings could be way older but for now we know that these are like 30 year old and another fun factor i just want to show you guys that in those paintings if you can see it we used to domesticate the horses at least 30000 year old because we have horses from that long and we used to have like a proper army system and a proper like the tribal system of uh, uh, all the domestic uh, domestication of the horses too okay so uh, uh, you know the uh, for you know history wise like you know the most oldest uh, in india is uh, is vedic civilization or you can call hindu saraswati civilization so in that particular civilization there was like two major cities mohenjodaro and harappa and when there was like uh, archaeologists they dig and they found lot of different type of arrowheads if you can see in the picture here and those are like from the copper and the bronze and that timing is almost 7000 uh, bce to 4000 bce of those cities so we had like you know use of arrowhead or i can say like metal arrowheads from at least that older timing so and then the for the literature purpose uh, the uh, the oldest literature we have it is uh, rigveda and in rigveda when i was doing my research i found out that the mandal 6 is actually one of the oldest mandal of rigveda and as per uh, the nilesh ogji research uh, uh, he estimated the timeline for uh, rigveda is close to 22000 bce to 6000 bce depend on which mandal of the rigveda we are talking about so if we can assume that this is the oldest mandal of rigveda uh, it's basically somewhat between 20 22000 year old and uh, i just pick like three shloka that uh, from the hymn 75 which is basically called the battle hymns 
uh, by Payu Bharadwaj. And uh, if you guys are not sure, uh, aware of it, the Mandal Six is basically dedicated to the whole Bharadwaj Muni uh, family and his descendants. So uh, is one of the Saptarishi of uh, Indian civilization. And uh, Payu Bharadwaj basically uh, talk about the hymns of uh, all the battles. So uh, let's go with the first one. What is tell about is like with bow, let us win the keen, which is cow. With bow, the battle, with bow, be victory in our heart encounter. The bow bring grief and sorrow to the foeman or enemy. Um, with the bow, we subdue all region, which basically tell us the importance of the bow at the Vedic time. And then the second shloka is basically talk about the importance of the arrow and how the arrow look like it. So in the, of course, in the poetic way that her tooth a deer dressed in the eagle feather, bound with the cow high, launch forth, she fly on what? There were the there were the heroes the speed back and forth. They made the arrow shelter and protectors. And then the third shloka in this particular slide is talking about the the, uh, the attack or like how they used to attack the enemies, like loosen from the bowstring, fly away though arrow, sharpen with our prayers, go to the foemen, strike them home, and let no one be left alive. So these like three shloka I pick up. There is like a lot of other shlokas in that hymn seventy five which basically talked about uh, uh, the war chariots and the swords and a lot of other information. But for the bow and arrow, this is one of the three I found is important to share here. Okay. And then the next one is uh, Agni Puran. When I was doing my research, I found that Agni Puran in chapter nine, there's a whole section of the Nurveda. So before I can talk about that, uh, just a quick note that uh, in uh, ancient India, we used to use that uh, the measurement is basically driven on the uh, length of the bow and the, the bow grip of the, the, the size of the bow grip or the uh, the size of uh, Dhanurmusti, they call it. Uh, we can talk more about uh, in the future slides. And that's how they used to calculate all the length at the time, which is actually deriving this like, you know, one dand or Dhanu, which is bow equal to four heart, four hand and it is equal to six feet. So you will gonna see this particular number a lot in my, pre in the, my further slides, which I was gonna show you why. And uh, so what Agni Puran said, tell us that uh, uh, they used to have three types of bow at that time, or three types of material they used to use for building a bow. The first one is the metal, horn, and wood. And, uh, and what they use, and then they used to use have a, a bow string, which is made up of rattan as a type of plant, uh, which in Sanskrit called vamsh, and then the hemp, uh, hemp, which is the bhang, and then the hide, which is animal hide, uh, which used to call it the twig in uh, Agni Purana. And as per the measurement, they used to say that the four heart or the six feet bow is the best bow, and then the medium bow is uh, 5.25 feet, and then the inferior is four and a half feet. While in the metal bow, they say is that the metal bow is made up of gold, silver, copper, and black iron, which is steel. They used to call black iron that time. And the horn composite bow, which basically also talk about in Agni Puran, but the, uh, the interesting part here that they say is that uh, the composite bow is made up of by metal and the horn and they compose each other with some glue and then use as a composite bow while, while like in the later time, I can say around 2000 year till now, most of the people using the composite bow made up of uh, 
uh, wood uh, decompose with the wood and the horn uh, with the sinew and the um, animal glue to make the composite bow. But in this particular late, uh, literature, I found that they used to use the metal and the horn. And then the, another one, they say is like what type of wood they used to use it when they make a long bow, which is the six feet one. As uh, the sandalwood, salwood, sal is a type of tree uh, in from India and Danwana and Kukubba. And uh, but this is like the bamboo, which is grow in autumn and cut at the same time is the best uh, bow of uh, uh, best of all. And then the quarterly also talk about not too much detailing, but uh, some uh, section of uh, chapter nine when he's talking about uh, the the army preparation and uh, uh, how to take care of their weapons. And that particular section, he says that. Uh, uh, he basically talk about different type of ma material also that palmera, which is uh, uh, like a coconut tree uh, and in Sanskrit they call tala and then bamboo, he used to call it a chop. Chop is just a curve, but uh, he used bamboo as a chop and then wood, which is daru and horn as a saranga. So, excuse me, a lot of people heard the name saranga. Saranga is actually like, you know, saranga dhanu or saranga bo is actually a horn bow because sarang is a horn in Sanskrit. And then the bow made up of uh, palmera is used to known as karmuka in uh, Kotali time. And then the bow made up of bamboo used to call kodanda bow. And then the bow which is uh, made, used, made up of wood used to be known as uh, druna at uh, his time. And then while the horn composite bow used to call Dhanu. And then these are the material he's talking about to use the bow string, which is Murwa, Arka. This is again the type of plants he's using it. Um, uh, Asana, Gavedu, bamboo bark, with Venu, and, and then the Senu. Senu is the animal uh, Senu he's talking about here. While in Jatakas, which is the Buddhist text, is talking more about the ram's horn bow most of the time, but it is likely they are using bamboo and wooden bow also, but they're not talking much about it. They always talk about ram's horn bow. Now you can see the, uh, I put the picture of the Takshila and also the Takshila University. The reason I did it here, because if you can, this is just a 3D model, uh, was uh, basically worked by uh, a guy named uh, Salman Suraj, uh, some, something, I don't know exactly his full name, but he's from Lahore. And he did like a 3D model based on uh, how the Takshila University kind of looked like it. And uh, why I put it here, the reason because the Takshila University is one of the main university during 700 BCE till 499 AD before it was destroyed. And uh, it was basically one of the main center for teaching Adhanurveda or Shastravidya. And that's why I just wanna uh, tell as a history purpose that this is one of the main center for archery and Adhanurveda at that time. And another thing is like, if you see in this picture, uh, you can able to see there's an archer whose name is Janmejay. He is a grandson of uh, Abhimanyu from Mahabharat and the great grandson of Arjun, the hero of the Mahabharat. And uh, he's talking with the Maharishi Vaishampayan. And a lot of people probably aware of it, but I just wanna say that Vaishampayan is one of the Maharishi who basically narrated first time the whole Mahabharat. 
and also like Vedu Vyasa writing it, but he's the one who narrated it to Janvijay. And at the same time, when Janvijay asked uh, a question about uh, politics and Niti and Dhanurveda, then Vaishampayan teach him the uh, the Dhanurveda, which is one of the most oldest uh, a book I can able to find it under the name called the Niti Prakashika. And this particular conversation also happened in Takshila. So that's why Takshila was used to be one of the major center for Archery and Dhanurveda. Now let's go in the Dhanurveda in detail. So before we can go, we can see that like, you know, there are the four main uh, books of uh, 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 Indian religion or our Sanatan Dharma, which basically have Rigveda, Yajurveda, Samveda, and Atharvaveda, and out of four Vedas, which are basically divided into four different sections, is Sahita, Brahmana, Arandika, and Upanishad. All that, uh, 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 all from all four Vedas, there is a uh, uh, four of Vedas was derived. And from Rigveda, Ayurveda, which is science of life and medicine, was derived from Yajurveda, Dhanurveda is derived from Samveda, Gandharveda is derived, and from which is the science of music. And then the Atharveda is uh, Atharveda or uh, Arthaveda or Arthashastra is derived, which is political science. Now, in the literature point of view, I found like a Niti Prakashika, of course, is going to be the main in the detail. And then there is a Dhanurveda attributed uh, to Lord Shiva and Dhanurveda of a sister. And then the Yukti Kalpatru by King Bhoj and Kodandamandana and then the Manasolas by King Someshwar and the Sangam literature and the section of Sangam literature, uh, uh, Purna Nuru. So, uh, let's just uh, briefly talk about these three. So Dhanurveda of Shiva and Vashistha is almost identical. There is, I can say only 10% different, like one or two shlokas here and there, but it's almost the same, uh, the way it is upgraded or written. And the Dhanurveda of Shiva and Vashistha only focus on the archery, versus Niti Prakashika is talk about all kinds of weapons. There's a lot number of weapons they talk about with how they look like, how they used to use, and uh, how you can hold it, like pretty detailing versus, and then Yukti Kalpatru is more like an encyclopedia that uh, how the king supposed to uh, rule and how the people living that time kind of like at the, the, at the area of the Dhar, which is central part of India. So that's what the Yukti Kalpatru is. And in that particular book, they talk a little bit about uh, how the military was looked like and how they used to use different weapons. So it doesn't have much detailing the way Dhanurveda or Niti Prakashika have, but it's a pretty much good information. And then Kodandamandana is one of the most rare book I found because uh, in my knowledge, there was only one or two manuscripts remaining and one is in the British Museum and one is I think in the, somewhere in the Maharashtra. And I just found out like a week before and somebody uploaded the whole manuscript uh, uh, copy on uh, uh, archive.org and that's where I can able to, but it's almost unreadable right now. So it's need to be get clean and able to see if it is readable and Kodandamannana, uh, like a lot of people in early 19th century did some research and they say Kodandamannana basically talk about 18 different type of bulls and also uh, have a lot of other archery information which is defined in 22 chapters. But I know we don't have any translation or anything, so it's really hard to know 
uh, what exact information in it. And Manasola is also similar like Yuktikalpatru, which is all like encyclopedia and they follow thoroughly about what the Dhanurveda is talking about. And then the last one is the Sangam literature, which basically talking about uh, uh, more uh, the glorification of the heroes of uh, that time. And uh, that's, wh that's wh what they put in the information there. So they don't have like proper detailing, like technical details of Dhanurveda, but they have pretty much information about how the archers used to be and how the heroes were at that time. So it's pretty good information there too. So in the introduction, like, you know, we know Dhanur is bow and Vidya is knowledge. So that's how they derive the word Dhanur Vidya or Dhanur Veda. And uh, this particular timing in this table is basically the most auspicious time as per the Shiv Dhanur Veda or Vasishti Dhanur Veda that uh, when there is a Sunday, Friday or Thursday and uh, for the lunar day, it is the Tritya Panchami, Saptami, Dashami or the Triyadashi and uh, one of those uh, constellation or nakshatra uh, is Haste, Purna, Vasu, Pushya. And when all these matches uh, at uh, the time, they say this is the best time to start the Dhanurveda practice. And uh, uh, and this is like uh, the timing they start teaching. And uh, at that time, this is like uh, the shishya or a student should uh, uh, do the havan and prayers and uh, use the arrow without arrowhead and hit some flowers and put those flowers to, and, uh, to Lord Shiva and uh, in the presence of Guru and then teacher and start practicing the Nurveda. And then uh, in Niti Prakashika, you know, we used to have in the olden time that uh, how the knowledge is transferring, they used to put all the records. And in Niti Prakashika, they talk about that, how the knowledge transferred from one Rishi to another and who was the creator of Dhanurveda. So Niti Prakashika say that Lord Brahma is the one who created the Dhanurveda and it's uh, transferred to Maheshwara in 100,000 verses. And then from Maheshwara to Skanda, Skanda to, uh, Indra, Indra do Prashetash Manu and Prashetash Manu do Braspati, Braspati do Shukra or Kavya. So uh, in uh, Niti Prakashika, it's called the Shukra versus um, Mahabharata is tell the Kavya. And all, uh, another difference between Niti Prakashika and Mahabharata is uh, the creator of Dhanurveda is Maheshwara or Lord Shiva versus uh, Niti Prakashika says Lord Brahma. And rest of the information is almost identical in both the places. And uh, at last, we can see that Vaishampa into Janmajaya, that's what the current Niti Prakashika copy we have it, uh, uh, which have like eight different verses. Now in Niti Prakashika or in Dhanurveda, uh, uh, they talk about the categories. There are like four different categories of weapons. The first one is the Mukta. Mukta, which you, Mukta, if uh, the word, if you think about, is basically which can able to free or you can able to throw. So that's what the Mukta type of weapons are. And uh, in Mukta, there are total 12 in numbers and they define pretty detailing in uh, Niti Prakashika that uh, uh, such as Dhanush bow issue. Now, a lot of people probably not sure what the arrow, uh, what the arrow call is used to call issue. And then the Shakti is a type of a spear and then Chakra is a disc and Nalika will talk more about in the next slides. And then it's just an example. 
and then there's a amukta which you cannot able to throw you can hold and fight with it so vajra is one of the weapon uh, and ili is another name for the sword and that's uh, like one of the oldest name I found it. And then a Pershu, which is X. And Gosira is another type of weapon. So there are total 20 numbers. They define pretty detailing how it looks like and how they can use. And uh, actually it's like the just Ili, like the sword, the chapter three or the verses three of Niti Prakashika talk about the whole, the whole chapter talk about the swords. And then the mukta and amukta, which you can either throw or either hold. And it doesn't define the much detailing, but it gives us the names. And it's the further defined in the multiple category. One is astra and another one is asurastra. Astras, have, which are 44 in numbers, it's also called upsamharastra in another version. But astra and asurastra is more like a category of mukta mukta weapons which are counter missile, which are five in number. And then the last one is the mantra mukta weapons, which basically uh, use with the help of mantras. And those are like Vishnu Chakra, Vajrastra, Brahmastra, Kalpasak, uh, Narayanastra, and Pashupatastra. That's what they define in that Niti Prakashika. And now the types of bow. So in Niti Prakashika or Vashitanur Veda, they both talk about there are four type of main bows. First is the saranga bow, which is basically the bow made up of horn, and then trinath, which is the bow band in three places, which is normally look like modern day composite bow or modern day recurve bow. And then venava is the bow, which is basically a long bow and have uh, six feet in the length and which can be fully bent. And Vitastika is the, another type of bow they talk about, which is like a smaller, which is like a length of one hand and one hand is one and a half feet. So it's a smaller bow used for a smaller uh, arrows, which I have a picture of all three so I will show in the later slides. Now the types of arrows, so in, in uh, Tanurveda, they say is like there is five different type of arrows. First is Purusha, which is masculine in nature. And if you see the sh shape of the arrow, which is heavier at the end and lighter in the front, it's basically used to target for the uh, strong and tough targets. And then there's three or uh, feminine type of arrow, which is lighter in the back uh, uh, side, but the heavier in the front side is used for long distance shooting. And then there's a Napunsaka or important type of arrow, which is like parallel, like looks same. And it's helped to, for the target practice. And then the Nalika. Nalika is a type of device. I put this picture from one of the Korean movie, just to give it like how it can look like it. So Nalika, like the name derived, it's basically like a Nali or pipe. So it's like a Nalika have helped to shoot the small arrows, like these type of arrows. And then the Naraka is another type of arrows which is fully made up of iron or steel, like in this kind of example. This is just an example, that's not a real arrows, but just to have a glimpse of how it can look like it. Now the types of target, uh, they also talk about there are four different type of target. One is a stir, which is immovable or fixed and chal, uh, chal, which is a moving target, and chalachal is that uh, a stationary target hit by a moving archer, and the dwachal is the uh, moving target hit by a moving archer or shooter. Oops. 
And then they talk about the quality of the bow when she have done her Veda. So they say there are two types of bow. And uh, one is the yogic chop of, uh, or practice bow and the yuddha chop, which is war bow. And another important thing, which I learned from my teacher also when I was learning my archery and I signed the Dhanurveda, they talked the same thing that every archer should consider the bow poundage according to their strength. So if the archer select a heavier bow based on like how much heavier bow you can able to pull, make sure that don't get the heavier one because if you hurt yourself or cannot able to concentrate, it doesn't make sense because they always say the archer's life is more important uh, than uh, any bow or arrow. And then they say while considering the Vanova bow, which is a bamboo long bow, always consider with the three, five, seven, and nine joints in a bow, uh, because um, it's kind of science so that it doesn't able to break. And they say bow with the four, six, and eight joint are restricted to use. And then they talk about the measurement of all different type of bows. Uh, and the first one, let's ta is talk about the divine bow, they said, or the Shiv Dhanush, in another term they used to call it, which was held by Lord Shiva. And the length of the bow uh, defined in Shiv Dhanur Veda is uh, 8.25 uh, 8 feet. And that's like really long and heavy bow. That's why they say it's called the divine bow because not normal person can able to hold that kind of bow and uh, able to use it. They say for the human being, the six feet or the charhat, which we already see in multiple slides, that the bow is uh, useful for human. And then they say is that, if the bow, which has six feet and also have a nine joints in the bamboo joints, uh, it is one of the most auspicious bow and they have a name called the Kodanda bow. And that particular bow was used by Bhagwan Shri Ram and it is, that's why it is, he used to be famous as a Kodanda Dhari Ram because he used to hold the Kodanda bow. And then the next one is the Sarangdhanu or the horn bow. This, uh, so this is like the, it was seven, uh, it was a God Vishnu's bow and it was uh, has seven times greater than ordinary bow. Unfortunately, they don't say it's like in the size or in the strength, but in my assumption, it says strength. It must be really heavier bow that not normal person can able to take care of it. And that's why they say it's for the Lord Vishnu. And then over many years, uh, Vishwakarma recreated this bow and make it useful for the human being and the measure it like 58 and a half inch. And then they say the sarang bow is successfully used by the soldiers, uh, which is horn bow, which is successfully used by the soldiers on elephants and the cavalry, uh, which are the horse archers while the bow made up of bamboo used by the chariot of the foot foot soldiers. And then they say the measurement of the arrows. So this is like, it should may not heavy and very fine. And the and the, it's, it's called the reed. It's a type of, uh, it's, not, it's not a bamboo, but it's a type of plant, grass we uh, grow in all over the India. It's in Hindi, we can call it sarkand. And the Sarhari Sarkand is the green reed, which they say is not good. It needs to be um, well ripe and have a mature joint to use it and have a circular or like a rounded uh, a proper material to use for the arrows. And the length of the arrows they define, of course they define in uh, the older uh, calculation. So when I calculate it, it goes to 30 inch of current time and thickness will be like a little finger of your hand. 
And then in uh, mostly in the modern arrows, when we see it, we always see that there are three feathers they are using in the arrows. But in Dhanurveda, when I read uh, multiple books, they always talk about that uh, use the four feather, not the three feather. And uh, they use the, these animals, these uh, birds for feathers like cock with this crane, hamsa, uh, masyanda, which is fish, fisher bird, and uh, kronk, which is heron, and then gradra, which is vulture. So they use these animals uh, feather for uh, arrows, for making of arrows. And then they say it's like there are 10 different types of arrowhead. If you see in the picture also, it's like armuka. Armuka is to pierce the shield. And uh, it's, uh, of course, in the picture you can see 3D, but it's basically shaped more like a hammer. So that's why they can able to use this heavy arrow to pierce the shield of the enemy. And then the another was is the Shupra, which is more like a razor blade type. And that's used to pierce enemy's bow, arrow, or soldier, uh, shoulders. And Gapucha is uh, basically for target practice. Ardhachandra is to pierce the head, neck, or bow of the enemy. And then the Suchimukha uh, is used to pierce the enemy's armor. And uh, Bhalla is more like a spear, uh, used to enemies have, pierce enemies hard. Dvibhalla is to stop enemies' arrows. So if somebody attacking you, they used to use this type of arrows to cut the arrows in air. And then uh, Vasudanta is to cut the enemy's bowstring. And then the Karnika is to basically pierce the iron or steel arrows. And then Kaktunda is basically more like a big knife in the front, and it used to pierce almost all kind of objects. So these thin uh, arrow uh, are defined in Dhanurveda. And then the different instance and like the shooting, how you can stand and shoot the different type of arrows. So there are first the two Pratyalidya and Alidya, they say. And uh, it depends on if you are left-hand shooter, you use the Pratyalidya. And if you are right-hand shooter, you use the Alidya. And these kind of poses are used for long distance shooting. And Vaishaka is used to hit the complex or invisible because you can able to bend or like uh, turn your body while you're standing in this position. And then the Sampada and uh, this, sorry, there's a Sampada and Padmas, uh, Padmasana is used to target practice and uh, asampada and dardmur. So uh, dardurkram is this particular pose and asampada is this pose, but in this particular pose that uh, your back leg is supposed to be more straight and then the front leg is to be bent, which I will show you in the next picture, is uh, used to hit the hard and these two poses are used to hit the hard and difficult target. And the garurmukh is this like when you bend one knee and then uh, like more like a sitting position. And these are mostly used by the chariot archers. And then uh, gurmusti is basically how to bowl the uh, bow string. So the first one is called the pataka musti, where you basically holding an arrow. Uh, you can see my pictures here that uh, is holding with your forefinger. And it's basically used for Nalika also because in Nalika you have like, you can put your finger and hold the finger pretty okay here. And then it used for long distance shooting. And then the Vajramusti or in the modern time we call it as a thumb draw. 
and which you can basically fold your thumb first and then make a grip on the top of it and use for naraka or heavy metal at distant target. And Srikhanda Musti is more like uh, this type of Musti where you basically use your first or second finger to, ho to hold this string and then use your thumb to grab the arrow. And it used to hit the strong and hard targets. And then the Masikarni is this particular shape like a fish head. And uh, you basically use this grip to hit the camouflage type of target, which you can't see properly. And then the kaktundi is just is more in like in the modern term we call it as a pinch draw that you basically pinch it with your uh, forefinger and the thumb uh, and it used to hit the minute target or like a small distance targets. And then the dhanur musti sandana is like method of holding a bow. So there are three type of uh, sandana they talk about uh, other sandana which is lower draw the sandana which is upper draw and then some sandana which is parallel draw and then the method of drawing a bow string so there are five methods but three are more common nowadays uh, we can use it the first one is the kishikvia which when you have like a long draw bows when you can able to pull the string till back of your hair so it's for the longer arrows and the longer draw bows and then the satvikvyaha is the similar manner, but you can pull up to the top of your head and have more long, dis no, sorry, more long arrows. And the vasakarna is just behind your ears. So you can pull the arrows till just behind your ear. And then the bharatvya is about up to your neck, which is more like for parallel draws to use. And the iskandavya uh, is towards your, uh, it's like, a, this one is what uh, we call it is like one of the best way to shoot an arrow because you can use the full of your muscles and it is used for hard and strong targets. And then this is like the, mm -hmm. for, the uh, for the perfect shooting, there are the four main principles, of course, as a, as a shrum, which is concentrated effort, uh, a, uh, uh, sorry, ascalitogistry, uh, which is study vision, and both practice will lead to the Shigri Sandhana, which is perfect for fast shooting, and Pranayana, Pranayam, because uh, absolute control of your breath is so important while you're shooting the bow or any other martial art you're practicing. And then the last one, they say Guru Shamakshashram Kriya means uh, you're constantly uh, practicing in front of your guru or the teacher. If you're making any mistakes, you need somebody to correct you. So that's, they say, the four main principles for the perfect shooting. Now, uh, there's a long distance shooting or called the uh, Durapatnam. And uh, in these pictures, if you can see it, uh, that uh, that particular archer here and then the archer in the back here is using uh, Pratyalidya or Alidya, but in both the panty because it seems like the shooters are right hand. So it's using the Alidya and you and with the three or feminine type of arrows, when you draw the Pataka Musti, this is how basically you use for long distance shooting. And then it's called the Dradbhedam, which is piercing or striking the hard object. So this is one archer. This is actually the story from Ramayana when the Sugriva come to Bhagwan Sri Ram to get a help. And then uh, he asked that, uh, I wanna see how strong you can able to hit the target to help me to uh, against my brother. So Bhagwan Sri Ram basically pierced the seven different arrows in a line. 
uh, using uh, this particular pose and that pose called the Asampada. And with that, you can use the Vajramushti and the Purush type of arrows and, um, and Iskandavya, which is basically up to your chest. So, and in the same picture, you can see in the front archer doing the same way and also here, which the bow is missing, but it's a similar way. So these kind of pose is used for uh, how is piercing or is striking the hard objects. And then the, there's a couple of other instances too, but I didn't able to uh, add it because it was not super important. But then I found this one is really interesting because we all like in, especially in India, we heard a lot about the Shabda Bediwan Vidya and a lot of people think that is not possible. But actually in the Nurveda is defined with proper procedure that how you can practice it and how you can basically uh, get expert in it and uh, it says that you know you basically put the target uh, from the three feet uh, from you and like any copper or steel plate and there's another person keep hitting a stone or the pebble to create the sound and once you're able to focus on the sound where it's coming from and you start hitting it you basically keep practicing and mostly they suggest that you practice in the dark so you can see it but you can able to hear much better noise and then by once you start getting more and more better they say you keep increasing your distance from 10 hertz 20 hertz 200 hertz and this is one of the most advanced in archery in the Norveda. and this is just a prediction of the painting of Prithvira Chohan between 1149 and 1192 who shooted the Mohammed Gauri when uh, he wasn't believed that uh, anybody can do it and then he basically used that and used to kill him then the yoga breath control in shooting, they also talk about in almost every Dhanurveda book I read it. Uh, they say like the breath control is one of the most important part of uh, this particular martial art. And uh, this is like pranayam cycle, uh, which is like a, a purak and kumbhaka and uh, risaka and sunyaka. So this is like a whole breathing cycle. And once you're able to control it properly, and when I do my, sometime I practice for archery, I basically, uh, after Kumbhaka, I release the arrow when I release my breath. So that's how I able to practice more and more so I can able to focus and concentrate when I do my own training too. And then uh, they talk about uh, army division or uh, then uh, in the olden time, they used to call Chaturangini Sena. And Chaturangini is basically four elements of the army. And in, in Indian armies, there's always, there are four different sections. It's like elephant, war elephant, war chariots, horseback or cavalry soldiers, and then the foot soldiers. So in Chaturangini Sena, I just need to give like one more uh, point here that uh, uh, the modern day we play the chess game and in the uh, Gupta period, around third to fourth century, that's when actually chess was invented. And it used to call Chaturanga, which was actually derived from Chaturangini Sena. It is more like a strategic game. And nowadays, modern time, we call it as a chess, but that's like the original name of the game. And so they basically talk about the importance of the elephant chariots in the army. And they say elephants are used to train for marching in the front and entrance forest forts, breaking walls, uh, creating fear in the enemy's army and making new roads and cleaning existing one. Chariots used to fill the gap in second line, protect the elephant, keep the enemy distance. 
block the enemy, stand at the head of the battle, and then the horse is like, horse soldiers is used to obtain the knowledge of the woods and country and the road protection of a land uh, troop. And uh, uh, going far away, performing rapid movements and destroying hostile troops and uh, frightening the enemy by nagging. So there's like all, all the properties of all the duties basically they define in there. And then the foot soldiers have like clearing the wells and passages, making roads camps and roll tents and protecting the garnets and arsenal and treasuries, make, uh, making the fortification and defense of the army. And then in the Niti Prakashika also, they also talk about the, the units, like how they used to measure the number of uh, chariots, elephants, foot soldiers or infantry and the horseback soldiers. So in here they have it like, like the first unit is a Patti, which is one, one chariot, one elephant, five foot soldier and three horseback soldier. And then Sinamuk and Golm, Gun, Wahini, uh, Pratan and Kamu, Anikini and Akshuhini. So of course these are huge numbers, but they basically define in Nidhi Prakashika in particular chapter three, uh, that how they used to have an army division over there. And then of course, the, though everything is fair in war, but it's still in ancient time, we used to follow the ethics of war in Dhanurveda and the way they say is that uh, the, we should not lay down the weapon, weapons on anybody who is supta, which is who is lying down on uh, prasupta, which is sleeping person, udmata, a mental deranged man, and akacha, one who lose undergarments, shastu varjat, an unarmed person, bal, a child, a stri, a woman, deen, or a weak, therefore he surrendered, and the one which is a fleeing man who is run away from the war. So, but then this particular three thing change in the modern, like a later time, because a lot of female archers and warriors was a part of the army. Uh, and the, from Mauryan time till uh, later, almost every army used to have uh, like a whole infantry of uh, female archers or female warriors. And then of course in India, we always talk about the philosophy and the Dhanurveda philosophy. Uh, Dhanurveda also talk about the philosophy that if a shooter can concentrate in technical per technically perfect execution on each shot. So example, if you're practicing with three arrows or five arrows, always focus on that one arrow when you're releasing at a time and don't and forget about what you did in the previous arrow and what gonna happen in the next arrow. So it's more like the way they say that, that you basically practicing not with the five arrows in one practice session, you basically practicing with one arrow in one practice session and you're doing five different practice session. So that's how they say always concentrate and focus on the arrow you are releasing at that moment. That's the secret of the Vidya. Now let's talk about the composite bow in the third section. And composite bow of Indian subcontinent is, uh, so I did talk about all kind of bows in, uh, in the Dhanurveda when we started. And here you can see that uh, whenever all the long bows, so there are some tribes from uh, Kerala, so this guy is from the Kerala. And uh, when I was talking about the joints on the bow, you can see there's a bamboo joints here. And these joints, they say like three, five, seven, and nine are important when you basically use the bow. And that's particular tribal picture from the Odisha. 
and uh, this is another vitastika which is a smaller bow for a smaller arrow it's also from the bheel tribe from madhya pradesh in rajasthan they use this type of bow currently and this is more like a composite bow or the trinath bow trinath means the bow which bend at three sections so which is like first curve here second curve here and the third curve here that's how they used to define it as a trinath bow or sarang bow which is horn bow now uh, the the oldest pictures or oldest uh, scriptures i found it is it the mauryan era time which is between 322 and 185 bce and if you see these particular two uh, sculptures is from the this one is from the sachi stupa and this one is from the barhut stupas so if you can see the shape of the bows here or this is more like a trinath or sarangabo they using the composite from that time and then there was like some artists from russia he basically did some work on like painting to see from these particular uh, sculptures and uh, he come up with like yeah they used to have like this type of uh, like uh, uh, composite bow and this uh, whole looked like a more like a long bow in the Mauryan army and that's kind of army used to look like at that time it's just his prediction then the second one i found is the sangam or chera kingdom so which is bit almost 600 uh, year rule uh, with 300 BCE to 300 CE in the Tamil in the Tamil Nadu and Karnataka and Kerala in the current uh, geographic and uh, Sangam uh, uh, sorry the Chera Kingdom was actually started by the archers itself and those archers used to have a title of Villavarkon which means the archers in Tamil and these archers are the founder of uh, these are the, the founder of chera kingdom and you can see their coins also they put these composite bow shapes on their coins and uh, with their prediction with the coin prediction we can able to see that they are more like elephant archers because they have like ankush which is like uh, to drive the elephant and then the another side they have an elephant uh, uh, so the importance of the archery or the composite bow they were using at that time then the third one is I found with Satwana's dynasty, which is from the second century BCE to third century. And uh, this particular painting uh, is like from the first one is from Ravati, which you can see the elephant archer using the similar kind of bow. And then there's a horse archer is from the uh, uh, Kanagan Hali. It is an archaeological site now and which shows the horse composite bow, which have like the horse archer, and also have the four different quiver here. And then the third one here is the painting of Ajanta Caves, uh, which showing the longbow or the foot, so foot soldiers of uh, Satwana's archery, Satwana's army. And uh, just one uh, fun factor I wanted to add up that uh, after uh, Alexander left India and uh, there's like a lot of other governors who was still ruling. And after Mauryan took over the most of the Northwest area of India and uh, uh, and the control it, there was like uh, another group of uh, people used to call the Shakas or Scythian. They were like one of the best archers at that time. 
uh, and Alexander basically went over and there was part of Alexander army that time, but later when Alexander died and things changed, they created their own kind of like a small kingdom in the Northwest where it is Gandan and Afghanistan now. And they used to attack a lot in India at that time. And they used to call Indo-Scythian kingdom and Satwanas are the one who basically destroyed them and uh, almost there was no Scythian left after that. There were like some maybe archer group, but the whole kingdom was like destroyed by Satwana. So they used to call it the mighty Satwanas. Their army is one of the best army at that time. And then we have a Gupta period, uh, which is between 320 to 600 CE. And the Gupta period, like you can see the importance and the use because they're using the gold coins. And that's also we used to call that the golden period of India uh, because they used the specific gold coins. And in the gold coins, all their coins, and these two are different. A person, one is Samudragupta from Gupta King, Kings, and then the Chandragupta two having these uh, uh, composite bows using. So another uh, story of the Gupta Empire also is uh, when uh, uh, there's a, uh, there a tribe from the Central Asia called the Hans, uh, H-U-N Han tribe. Uh, and they are one of the most devastated tribe at that time. And the China actually built the Great Wall of China to save China from them. And those tribes actually destroyed almost every civilization in Central Asia and Middle East. And then when they attacked India, Skandagupta is one of the ruler of the Gupta period, is actually stopped them and they never able to conquer India. And uh, they waited for 30 years before they attack back in India because Skandagupta destroyed their army so badly in the time of Gupta period. And those are the same Han uh, tribe people who actually destroyed the Kushan Empire and uh, destroyed the Takshila University because a lot of people know about the Nalanda University was destroyed by Bakhtiar Khilji or other university, but not much people are aware of the, what happened to Takshila University. It was actually destroyed by the nomadic tribe from Central Asia. And then there's a Chalukyas dynasty between 6th to 12th century, which is almost 600 years. And uh, they basically are the one who write the Manasola as like one of the king who is so much worth two. Uh, I put the three by mistake, so much worth two. And then uh, uh, the Chalukyas uh, are one of the royal dynasty of India, and they used to rule on the current Gujarat some part of Maharashtra, Madhya Pradesh, Karnataka. And in there, the, they put a specific that they uh, inside as a woman expert in the archery to appoint it as a bodyguards of the king. And I also read about in the Kautalya Arthashastra also talk the same thing that uh, their elite soldiers or the elite army are of any king is always the female archer. Uh, and they always say that the female archer is one of the best till 18th century of uh, uh, Deccan uh, Sultanate. So there's a lot of uh, people who always praise and especially they say the, the women from the Karnataka were famous for defending their home. So they are one of the best archer at that time. And in this picture, this is basically from uh, Jain Temple in Palitana. 
and uh, this is the beautiful picture of the female archer using a composite bow with the Skandhitra from the Nureda. Then there is a Vijayanagar Empire between 1336 to 1646. And uh, Vijayanagar Empire was actually founded by two brothers and uh, started in the rebel of the Tughlaqs rule in Deccan. And uh, uh, th this is one of the more uh, Southern India rulers and from current uh, place of Karnataka, Andhra, Telangana, and I think some part of Kerala too. So they used to you uh, they used to rule for almost little over three hundred years, and uh, uh, and then that time they are more famously using the longbows uh, when bows uh, in their army, but uh, and they don't have much of the horse archers. So they basically hire because uh, during this time the Turkic composite bow is getting a fame in the Middle East, and they basically are more famous. So uh, Devraya II, uh, it's believed that the King Devraya II of the Vijayanagara Empire hired 2,000 Turkish soldiers uh, or the horseback soldiers is, uh, to teach the art of the archery, which basically more about the archery of horse, uh, like or horse, horseback archery to the soldiers in his army. And uh, and that time, because the particular Vijayanagara Empire are using only longbows. But you can see in, uh, in this particular painting that uh, from Vijayanagara temple, uh, sorry, from the temple in Hampi, uh, is having using a composite bow in the horse. And then the Mara, uh, Maratha Empire. Maratha Empire is uh, is between 645 and 1818, and that's uh, was founded by Shatrupati Shivaji Maharaj and. Uh, it raised from very small army, but uh, these pictures of the general named Bajirao Peshwa, and uh, he have a history of, uh, he fought 41 battles in his lifetime and never lose one battle. And in these paintings, you can able to see he's using uh, the composite bow with his quiver here. And then also here, his soldier is basically carrying composite bow and the quiver here. And then Rajputana and the Sikh Empire. Well, the Rajputanas are have a long history from 10th to 11th century, but I just combined it here. And I will show in the next slide how they used to have a bows that time. So what happened is like, you know, during the 1800, early 1800 till 1900, due to colonization and a lot of Anglo-Sikh war, Anglo -Sikh war Anglo-Maratha war, and after first war of independence in 1857, the British banned almost all the local weapons and including the composite bow and replaced with the modern guns, which made uh, archery almost disappear from whole Indian subcontinent because the last rulers was the Sikh Empire who was using pretty strongly and Rajput Empire both, but mostly it was gone after that. By 19th century, there was like almost no archers remaining, very few archers was practicing. Uh, all over the India. And at that time, they used to have two different uh, uh, type of bows they were still uh, making uh, as a composite bow. And the first one called the Dhanush or Kaman. Kaman is just a Persian name of Dhanush because Mughals come that time between 1500 to 1700 and they used the Persian terms too. So they use Kaman there. And then the, which also in the modern term we call the North Indian crab bow because it's, shape looked like a crab. 
And the second one is the Trinath or Charkham, which is the four curve of India. It's again the Persian name for that, but the original name is Trinath. And here there are some paintings I found it from Rajputan empires that uh, you can see the use of the composite bow. They were doing pretty heavily in their army or a lot of for hunting purposes here that this particular king is using it. And there's a female archer he's posing for uh, with the composite bow. And then there's a Sikh empire. And in the Sikh empire, this is the picture of Guru Govinda Singh. He's the founder of Sikh Empire and the 10th guru of uh, uh, Sikhism. And he is actually one of the, uh, like this is one of his oldest painting we, I can find uh, from 1800. So we can assume that he's somewhat similarly looked like this painting. And uh, he's holding this composite bow, which is more known as a Kaman or the North Indian crab bow. Is uh, this one is hard to predict this Kaman or Charkham or Ajinatpo because of the shape is almost hard to predict, but he's another general of the Sikh empire. And then there's another uh, female archer. You can see with this PA. So you are seeing that, you know, we are having a female archers from all over the history. And then, then there is um, another guy just having holding a bow and the arrows here. And this is two paintings I found from the London Museum website, where they basically having the whole catalog of uh, what kind of weapons Sikh Empire used to use it. So that's where I found that they have different type of bows, quivers and arrows here. And then there's a one painter or sketcher who sketched this painting that how the Sikh Empire army used to look like. And this is the uh, antique bow, uh, which is Kamanandar we can call it, is from early 18th century. And I find this from uh, a Mandarin mansion. It, this particular website is run by Peter Decker, and he is uh, one of the antique collector. And he basically have uh, these, uh, like I, I basically found a lot of interesting information on his website, like a lot of antique bows and arrows from all our different timing of our Indian history. So this one is like Kaman or Dhanush in the Unagri, and this is mostly from early 18th century. But well, with these particular paintings, it's more look like a, a Sikh uh, or a, a Sikh empire bow because um, I saw a couple of other from the Lahore Museum have a similar painting. So it's hard to know exactly where it's from, but because it's more like a North Indian composite bow, so we can say it's somewhere, somewhere from the Sikh Empire because of the paintings on it. And then the Charkham and the Trinath bow, which is like, these are the different bows. I found the different paintings in different museum and different places. So it is also called the four curved and uh, bent with the three places. And this bow is uh, one of the mostly widespread in all over the India from Southern India to North India. This particular bow is the one which is using the most in all over the India. And, uh, but what happened this particular bow, uh, there was a bower who was still making this bow till 1900, early 1900 uh, in the Sindh region. And that's when the modern time, a lot of the modern bow builders or a lot of modern bowers used to call it as a cinder bow because it is the place where they found the most lust. 
piece because these are all the bows basically uh, from the antique collection and those bows are from mostly from the sand area. So that's why it's used to call now sand bow, but it's more like with the shape we can see it's more like tree nut bow. And in Indian Museum, there is uh, in Chunagar Museum, you can see there's a Trinath bow here. And then there is a Kaman bow here, uh, or Kaman Dhanush bow here, with different type of arrows you can find in the small arrows too, which use for Nalikas. And then there's another one here is a steel bow, which I didn't put in here because it's for only composite bow, but India uh, used to use the steel bows also. And then there's another one from Alvar Museum where you can able to see all these arrows and more like command bows. Now in the modern day archery, in modern day archery, you know, this, this is now we calling the, uh, the main Indian bow, which is uh, almost a replica of uh, recurve bow from the Olympic and uh, I think uh, just like you know in this particular page I want to say that we I think need to rethink about why we calling some recurve bow which is made up of bamboo as Indian bow because India have a huge history and we have so many different type of bows so I think we need to focus on like how those bows were and uh, like long bows and uh, or the small bamboo bows or the composite bows like so many different bows but we still only focus on that one type of bow which is almost replica and is only good it is good for practicing for olympics but it's not good for our arts uh, as a dhanur veda and we have so much knowledge so i think we should rethink and re-promote our teachings and of dhanur veda and re-promoting how to make that particular uh, our ancient techniques of the bow and i was talking with some people uh, online and they basically uh, told me that in rajasthan especially in udaipur there's a Sikh Ligar community who basically made uh, uh, made different type of uh, uh, composite bow still with the regular bamboo horns in new animal glue. And that's more like a become tradition and family business for them. So I think um, uh, we just need, to, I, I never able to come in. I did talk to a couple of families, but I didn't able to find like who actually still making it. So. Hopefully we'll find someday and uh, we'll see how we can able to re-promote our ancient culture and our past uh, martial art and techniques of the Nurveda. So I just talked in the, so there is one Vijay, uh, Vijay Archery Academy in the town called Kadapa, which is close to the, uh, close to the Tirupati. And uh, this guy name is Uday Kumar and he basically is one of the, I think one of the only person I'm aware of, other than there is another guy named Subbarao. He's a priest in one temple in Andhra also. So he's the one who basically promoting the Dhanurveda is as a traditional way and helping a lot of different archers in his Vijay Archery Academy. And also he he told me that he, I talked to him with, uh, this week, I talked to him on the phone and he told me that uh, uh, he basically called Vijaya Archery Academy because of the Vijaya bow from Karna in Mahabharata. So he said he want to put some specific name of his Archery Academy and he's helping in promoting this art. 
And before I can end the uh, uh, presentation, I just want to talk about this one last slide, which is the brave stones. So when I was doing my research and looking information, I found that in a lot of parts of India and Pakistan, uh, we have so much brave stones, which basically is more like we glorify our uh, soldiers or our warriors from almost 1000 BCE till 1800 century. And we basically used to create like uh, these kind of brave stones to tribute those archers or tribute those soldiers who basically fought in the battle or, uh, or uh, win the battle to give them a tribute. And I think it's really awesome to see that we are doing this from so many years and I never knew that thing. So that's why I just put that particular slide here just to share with everyone. So yeah, that's, that's all the presentation for today and thank you. Uh, Pankaj, I wanted to share, you know, we recently had hosted, not recently, sometime back had hosted Professor CK Raju. Okay. And uh, he had, in one of his talks, he mentions Plato's Meno, where actually he says that all uh, knowledge is remembrance from the past lives. And that's what was coming to my mind. You must have been a, either a master of archery or somebody related in some past life that you're remembering all of this. It's, you know, it's, it's so funny that it's actually started from nowhere. I was just looking like, you know, uh, something reading about it and suddenly I follow that uh, Armin Himmer and then I was like this is so easy like you know sometimes we think like oh actually so hard and stuff but when I start looking it's amazing to see and then later I was just like well it's, let's let's see what we can do <laughs> and then I start practicing by myself. Very nice it's surely coming from the past somewhere. <laughs> I was really surprised with your talk means it's uh, so much interesting and uh, scientific way you have presented. So I have uh, two questions basically. Yeah. So you mentioned about that bowhead, uh, arrowhead. Yes. But what is about the base? It has some feathers. So what is the role of that? And the second question is uh, about the leg position. So mm -hmm. the leg position has any role in the strength of the means uh, strengthening the your impulse on the arrow or. Uh, it has something to balance your own body. So for the first question, the feather thing. So feather, basically, they used to use it for flying the arrow in the correct trajectory and the correct direction. Because if you don't have feather, sometimes arrow goes pretty quicker and sometimes it doesn't fly the way you want to fly. So it helps with the, like, you know, with the wind and uh, uh, with uh, like uh, the direction of uh, the, the trajectory direction of the arrow and that's why they used to use the arrows. Oh, sorry, feathers on the arrows. And uh, for second question, so the leg position is important because depend on what kind of bow and what kind of uh, distance you want to cover. So like I show in a couple of slides that for the distance target, you have to use alidya or pratyalidya because the reason that if you get the proper pose, you can able to have like more better control on your body while you're releasing the arrows versus, uh, and then the Dradmukha is another one, which is for the heavy arrow. So when you have a heavy bow, you need to put more strength and use your knee. And it, it so all those stances define 
for particular purposes based on what kind of bow and arrow you are using at that time my question is uh, are there any any uh, schools of uh, dhanurveda right now available throughout our uh, india like specifically in uh, northern region because i saw like in southern there are still some of the schools who mm-hmm. who, who teaches ancient uh, martial arts and other things but uh, northern area i mean i see very uh, very less school or i guess uh, i mean no knowledge about i'm having if you have uh, if you can share it then it would be good for so in northern india the only place i am aware of is like uh, there is a archery association which is ladakh archery and they do lot of uh, traditional practice but i'm not aware how much they follow the dhanurveda itself but they have a proper teaching and techniques of uh, archery in ladakh and in the northeast also there is in the manipur and uh, um there are um, uh, I, i'm forgetting the exact which state it was but uh, they have like a regular archery of uh, not the olympic way but they have different archeries practicing they are doing it but i don't know exactly if they are following with the dhanurveda or they just following their own practice and in central india a lot of the tribal area you can see a lot of people still following the same way like the bheel tribe in madhya pradesh or in rajasthan they are basically following the same tradition but with the proper systematic schooling or systematic training i don't think so we have anywhere other than that one vijay archery uh, academy which i am aware of it uh what the problem do you find in our olympic archers because they usually i have observed they don't reach uh, beyond quarter final or mm-hmm. some because i feel we are born archers hindustanis yes so i mean with the uh, with the olympics if you compare there is a lot of restriction in the olympics like you have to follow with proper uh arrows and proper distance like proper distance and uh, this type of bow and also one more thing that you cannot put on the if you are a, a right and hard archer you have to put on the uh sorry if you are a, a uh, when you hold the bow on the left hand you have to put the arrow on the left side not on the right side because they have a specific arrow pass so they have like so much restriction so even you are like a, uh, because this is more like for us it's always as a art it was not like in a sport of particular concentrated on uh, just to follow the rules of those things so for olympics yes is good what we have it but unfortunately we can't able to open up because uh, in dhanurveda or in the more in the ancient archery the way they used to use it is more as an art and they basically able to open up and practice more and i think that's why we had much more uh better archers that time versus nowadays that's my guess because if you restrict yourself and you cannot able to open up and you only because you have to use only three finger to pull the bow in uh, olympics so there's a lot of restriction in olympics versus what we can able to do it <laughs> that's actually what they <clears throat> have done in almost every sport from hockey right exactly yeah so basically wherever we were winning we we were restricted by some change of rules and yep. basically started to kabaddi wrestling hockey everything has rules changed as we were one and then we we went down the drain completely so pankaj thanks for the very nice talk 
and uh, very informative so uh, did archery start in india or in central asia because so the mongols were really good archers right right they were really great archers but uh, if uh, the if you can able to trace back it's almost impossible like you know when where the original archery started because uh, in indian subcontinent wise like i show in my slide uh, in the archery history that we have some rock paintings up to 30000 year old so we have archers at least 30000 year old and uh, most recently only this month or like uh, end of the june they found out that uh, they found some uh, artifacts of bow and arrow in sri lanka which is 48000 year old which is the oldest ever found so but but this is what they found but unfortunately we don't have much uh, you know archaeological digging in india because there's a lot of places currently working on it and hopefully we can find something like that like uh, sanoli when they did that uh, chariot they found some uh, degraded bow and arrow there too which is 2500 or uh, 2500 bce so we have like a history from way beyond uh what says the mongols like chungiz khan who basically can conquer the europe and middle east that time was like 10 to 11th century which is way after we used to have an archery in india my question is uh, that uh, uh, sometime back i saw this video on uh, sangam talks itself uh, mm-hmm. when uh, their guru nidhar singh he is uh, the teacher of uh, uh, sanatan shastra vidya Mm-hmm. so guru nidhar singh uh, he is a teacher of uh, sanatan shastra vidya uh, he is uh, telling in that video that dhanurved uh, dhanurved is almost dhanurved uh, is lost so mm-hmm. would you like to comment on that so uh, when we say dhanurved are lost the original copy of dhanurveda as an upaveda is lost but we have a lot of literature available like at least like the the literature i put it uh, in the slide which is like 7 to 8 different books we probably have more than that but this is in my knowledge we have it and uh, in my knowledge is like there is like uh, the way it's defined is pretty detailing and uh, but then when we call the particular upaveda like we have ayurveda or gandharveda or other books available we don't have that particular as we call it as a upaveda of um, uh, yajurveda so that particular copy or manuscript is missing but there is other manuscripts have a lot of information of archery well i have one more question uh, sure um, so uh, i saw this movie perhaps uh, some uh, more people would have seen this uh, so it's called arjun uh, the warrior prince so in that movie, it is a disney movie right yeah i guess so yes. so in that movie arjuna uh, in the draupadi swamber uh, shoots the arrow from underwater so right. is there anything mentioned about underwater archery no the it's just a movie i think <laughs> all right no. all right okay thanks Thank you everyone for joining today and uh...